It is good to see you tonight. Being spring break week, I did not know what to expect, so I'm glad that you're here. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I am thankful for the safety that you've given us throughout uh, this week, but especially today. Lord, I know that uh, it was uh, difficult at times, no doubt, for many in our church family and for those around this area. And so, again, we just thank you for the safety. We thank you, Lord, for a place that we can come to tonight and get away from everything that's been going on. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to give attention to your word, that you would use it tonight to speak to our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think some of you will remember that last week we skipped over a fairly large portion of Scripture, uh, chapters 11 and most of chapter 12. Uh, the reason for that is because it was dealing more with the, uh, the aspects of Paul's apostolic authority there in the lives of the believers of Corinth. And so we made our way to verse number 19 last week and watched as Paul made this statement that everything he had done on their behalf was for their edifying or for the effort or for the purpose of building them up in their spiritual lives. Paul made it very clear that what he had done by way of investing in them was not for his benefit, not for his sake, but it was for their sake. And yet with how they were being influenced by the false teachers and how some were still uh, leaning toward that direction, Paul said that he was nervous about his upcoming trip there. He was afraid that there might be some debate, some envying, some wrath and strife. And then in verse number 21, he went on to say this, that he was also fearful that whenever he came that, that uh, he would be humbled and that he would be broken or that he would be grieved for a lack of repentance on their part. And so what Paul made clear was this, is that he was affected in his spirit by whether or not they repented and made themselves right with God. And so last week I just tried to remind us that there are many good ministers in this world who are doing what they're doing as an act of obedience to God's will for their lives. They're not in it for what they can get out of it. They're trying to be a help to those that God has, has given them some influence in. And yet, so many times, what can be a discouragement to those ministers is a lack of repentance on the part of the people who hear the word of God. And so I tried to encourage us last week to consider the question, what are we like when it comes to the subject of repentance? I'm just going to say again, as I did then, not because of anything I'm trying to accomplish for myself tonight, I'm just saying most ministers would have a newfound joy and excitement about the things of God if they saw in their church families people repenting, making things right, and doing what they ought to be doing in their spiritual lives. And so it's something to think about, just something to be aware of as we go through our, our daily Christian lives. Tonight we're going to continue looking in chapter 13, and as we do, I want to talk about something tonight that I know you would agree with. I know that I have mentioned this in the past, but I want us to consider it once more. I think every one of us would agree with this thought that our world is changing rapidly. There, there is no denying that we are living in a rapidly changing world, and I could illustrate that on many different 
fronts and in many different aspects or in many different ways. But again, there's no denying that we are changing very rapidly. Of all the ways in which we are changing, we are definitely changing in this realm of technology and the amount of information that is available to us. All we have to do, most of us, is look at our phone and know that we are living in a different world today. We have all the information available to us that we could possibly need in the palm of our hands, whether it be in the form of our phone, whether it be in the form of a tablet. If you carry a laptop, you've got all that information you need. It is amazing how much information is available to us. It is amazing how quickly we can access things. And, and as the world changes and as a situation changes, uh, here is what we know, that there is always a trade-off associated with those changes. You cannot and I cannot have change in our lives without there being some kind of a trade-off. So when there is a change, sometimes you gain things and sometimes you lose things, but you cannot have change and things remain the same. It's absolutely impossible. And so one of the things that we enjoy now with all this technology, again, is the ability to have all this information available to us at the, at the speed of light almost, it seems. And, and if you don't know something, just ask Siri or just Google it, and you're going to have the information, uh, again, almost immediately. But here is something that I think we have lost with all the technology, and that is this. It seems like we have almost lost our ability as a nation to think. I think that part of the trade-off has been this, is that people almost no longer have to think about anything. Again, just Google it. Just type it in. If you're not sure, there's probably an app for it. And, and, and again, you, you just don't even have to think. It's like people can just go through life almost mindlessly on autopilot. And I think that you would agree with me tonight that whenever I say this, you would say, that's right, or, or I agree, that it is not a good place for a person to be in who does not think. Would we agree with this? You find somebody who doesn't think, I promise you it's having a negative impact on their life. You find a couple who does not think, and I promise you it's having a negative impact on their marriage. You find a dad and a mom who don't think, and it's having a negative impact on their kids. You, you work with people who don't think, I promise you it's having an impact in your work environment. It's not a good thing for us to be living in a culture where you don't really have to think. Now here is part of the problem. No one thinks it's affecting them. It's affecting everyone else. Yeah, they don't think, and these people don't think, and that person doesn't think, and that person never engages their mind. But at least I think that's how it's often perceived, right? At least I'm a thinker. 
And that may or may not be true. Because I think if we're honest, we can all kind of get sucked into that vacuum, can't we? Okay, a few of us will admit that. We can kind of get sucked into that vacuum where we just kind of turn the mind off and we're not really thinking and we're just kind of zoned out and we're not really paying attention like we ought. I'm just trying to show us tonight that that one of the things that we are losing, it seems, as a nation is our ability or our willingness to think because we don't really have to and there is a negative consequence associated with that in the long term. I don't think that could be denied. Now, why mention that? Well, this evening, let's look in verse number 1 of chapter 13. And here's what Paul said. He said, this is the third time I am coming to you. So Paul has obviously made two trips in the past, and he is expressing his intention or his desire to come again. And he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So let's remember a little bit of the context, what's going on. There are people in the church there in Corinth who are being affected by the false influence uh, or by the influence of these false teachers. So this is the report that Paul has been given that he has received. But he says whenever he arrives on this third visit that it is going to be in the mouth of two or three witnesses that all of this is going to be established. So Paul isn't going to show up in Corinth and just take everything at face value, but he's going to confirm it. He's going to get a, a solid grasp of what is happening with those in the church. And he says, with the worth or with the witness of two or three, these words, these reports that he's been given, it's going to be established. And then he says in verse number two, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. So what is Paul saying in verse number two? He's just saying this, that whenever I come, I am dealing with the situation. I am going to be addressing it. He said in verse number two, by way of a warning, I will not spare. So what does it mean to spare? It just means this. I will not be avoiding the situation and I will not be lenient in how I address the situation. So again, Paul says, I am going to address this head on. We've got the false teachers who have had the constant influence in the lives of believers there in Corinth. I'm tired of hearing the reports. So whenever I get there, we're going to confirm everything. And then what needs to be addressed is going to be addressed. He says in verse number three, that this is part of the motivation for his willingness to address it. He said, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. And so there were still some in the church in Corinth who were demanding some kind of proof of Paul or some kind of evidence of Paul that he was really God's mouthpiece, that he was really God's man by way of spiritual authority in their lives. So he says, I will not spare because some of you are still seeking a proof of Christ speaking in or through me. So he says in verse number four, he said, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, that being Christ, 
but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. And so what Paul seems to be saying is this, is that though I am weak, I am going through the power of God, going to be powerful toward you. So Paul was not going to go in his own authority, in his own might, in his own power, but he was going to go in the power and in the might of God and confront this situation. So we can't really argue any of that. I think Paul had the authority to do such. So notice now what he says in verse number 5. He says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. So in verse number 6, he says, I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. What is a reprobate? Well, the simplest definition of that would be this, an unbeliever. All right, it would be the idea of an unbeliever. It's got more attached to it by way of definition, this word does. But again, the simplest definition would be that of an unbeliever. And he says, I trust you know or you recognize or you understand or you discern that we, Paul says, that we are not reprobates. I trust that you know this. But in verse number five, this is where we're going to spend our time tonight. He said this. He said, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. So let's think about this word. Let's consider this word faith. All right, the word faith. What is that talking about? Well, that is talking about their conviction in something being true. All right, that is a personal position that they have taken in their lives Paul is wanting them to give consideration to their faith what they believe to be true. Keep in mind the Apostle Paul had had influence in the lives of many of these people, as had Peter, as had others. But Paul is saying, I want you to think about your faith. I want you to consider what it is you have said for some amount of time what you believe and what you hold to by way of conviction. So as he gets them to begin thinking about the faith, he said this, you need to examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, and prove your own selves. So he says you've got to examine and you have got to prove yourselves. What does it mean to examine and what does it mean to prove? The words are basically synonymous with one another. It means this, to scrutinize, to test, to consider, or to discern. So he says you need to scrutinize, you need to test, you need to consider, you need to discern whether ye be in the faith You need to prove yourselves and you need to know of yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you except or unless ye be reprobates or unbelievers. So what is he saying to these folks who are, as he mentioned in verse number 21 last week, what is he saying to these folks who are unrepentant? You need to figure out where you're at in all of this. 
You need to discern some things. You need to consider some things. You need to scrutinize some things. And you need to come to this conclusion in your heart and mind. You have got to figure this out. Do you really believe what you say you believe? The things that you have said that you hold to, do you really hold to those things? All the things that you have said amen to over the years, do you really believe those things? Is that really who you are or are you just an unbeliever? You need to figure this out, Paul says. This has got to be addressed and this has got to be dealt with. He says you've got to examine yourselves and you have got to prove your own selves. Friends, he says, you have got to figure this out. Now, I want to ask you something tonight. I think it's fairly clear as to what the answer is going to be. But I want us to think about this. If they were going to do what Paul said and examine themselves and prove themselves, what were they going to have to do? They were going to have to think. They were going to have to engage the mind. They were going to have to give themselves to some mental deliberation. They could no longer just coast. They could no longer just just kind of wing it. If they were going to do what Paul said and really determine and discern and to figure out whether or not they really believed what they said they believed and wanted to observe what they said they wanted to observe, then here is what they were going to have to do. They were going to have to think and ponder and consider and meditate on some things. They were going to have to engage the mind and get serious. It had to happen engage the mind in this spiritual life that you're a part of. Let's hear this. You've got to engage the mind, Paul said. And I, I, I know that Paul understood this, that whenever they began to engage the mind, if they would do it, here is what would happen. If they truly began to engage the mind, it would begin to then change or confirm what they already were and or what they needed to be. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's think about this. Again, these are people who are influenced, aren't they, by the false teachers? All right, that's who they are. That's who Paul is talking to, and that's who he's trying to help here and who he has said he is going to address and will not spare. All right, if they will think about this, here is what might happen. They might say to themselves... Paul is exactly right. And what he said that I said that I believe, I really do believe. And so if they would start thinking about what they've been asked to think about, they might come to this conclusion, that is what I want to be in my life, though that is not what I have been. In recent days. But if they would think about it and acknowledge it and realize it and discern that and understand that they've not been living in agreement with with what they have claimed to be their faith, 
it would help them to begin living out the faith they said they had. Does this make sense? But they had to think about it first. Because apparently they had not been engaging their mind too much into what was happening in their spiritual lives. So if they would think about it, they may realize, yes, that really is who we are and that really is what we want to be. And so they began changing to be what it is they've said all along they want to be. But it could be this, that if they would just think about it, if they would just give some time to scrutinize it and to discern it and, and, and to, to test it, they might come to this conclusion. It's never really been my faith. It's just kind of been something I've been going through. I've never really been a believer in it. I just maybe got caught up in the emotion of it or, or, or I just became a participant of it. But it wasn't really me. It was just the activity going on around me. And then at that point, they would have to decide, do I want that to be me or do I not want that to be me? But see, until they were willing to think about it on their own, they could just continue to go through the spiritual or religious activity. They could just continue to go through the motions and it not be real. So he was saying to them, come on now, let's think. Let us think and let us consider and let us ponder and let us give our minds to this so that we might know, is this really who I am or is it not? And if it is, let's start being what we say we are. And if we're not, let's decide whether or not we will or will not be what Paul says we ought to be through the power of Christ. Decide. But the only way you can decide is if you think. I want us to see this. This is so important. That there was a connection between repentance and thought. Those are not separate one from another. And there is a connection not only between repentance and thought, thinking, but there is a connection between spiritual development and thinking. Paul is letting them know without the mind and some discernment you'll not be repentant like you ought to be and you will not develop in your spiritual life like you ought to. It requires the mind to be in the spiritual life what you're supposed to be. Now as we think about that tonight Let's consider what we said just a moment ago. We said just a moment ago that we're living in a society that no longer in many scenarios really has to think, correct? We make no bones about that. We don't argue it. We agree with that. We don't have to think. 
And it's becoming more and more common that people don't seem to think. So let's ask ourselves this question. Can that tendency permeate the walls of a church? To where God's people don't think like they ought to think. You better believe it can happen. You say, well, I don't know if it can happen or not. I think maybe you're being too hard on us. Okay, let's consider a couple of questions. Don't answer out loud. Just answer these in your mind. Please do not answer these out loud. Just answer them in your mind. In the last week, have you read your Bible? Don't answer out loud. Just have you read your Bible? I'm afraid some of you'd have to say no. But but for those of you who have, you would say, yes, I've read my Bible. So let me ask you. Can you honestly suggest that every time you have sat down in the last week to read your Bible, you have engaged your mind as you ought? I think we'd have to be honest tonight and admit it's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? We're reading, and there may be many different motives behind our our reading and, and trying to be obedient to it, but... But I think if we're honest, here's what we'd have to admit. admit A lot of times our mind is not engaged in what it is we're doing. So here's the bottom line, whether we like to admit this or not. We're not thinking like we ought to be thinking as we're dealing with the Word of God. So we're reading the Scripture, and, and it's not that we're trying to be dismissive of it. But as we're reading the scripture, pretty soon we realize, as I've said before and others have as well, we've just read a chapter or two and we have no idea what we've just read. What's happened? We've not been thinking. But I've got to get my Bible reading done because I'm on this program and if I don't read these number of chapters a day, I'm not going to get to my Bible reading in a year. And, and that's what's most important. No, that's really not what, not what is most important. You know, I, I think we could make this argument that God would rather us understand one chapter than to read ten that we get nothing from. But that's a foreign concept sometimes in our approach to Bible reading. I'm just saying sometimes we get so used to reading through the scripture and not engaging the mind. And yet we think somehow it's all productive and profitable. Don't answer this question, but how many of us in the last week have spent time in prayer? Most of us have, I would suspect. But answer this question. How many of us have ever gotten so sidetracked in the middle of our prayer time, we had no idea what in the world we were praying in the midst of our prayer time? I mean, guilty. I mean, I've been in the middle of a sentence, and thank you, Lord, for, what was, hold on. What was I thanking him for? At least I was thankful. I mean, you know, I I console myself that way. But but how did I, in mid-sentence... In an effort of whatever I was doing in my prayer time, how did I get that sidetracked? I'm not engaging the mind like I should. So let's consider this. How many times do we come to church? 
where the preaching of God is going to take place. And we don't engage the mind in the way in which we ought. We're thinking about the weather. We're thinking about the activity of the week. We're thinking about what faces us tomorrow. We're thinking about how tired we are. We're thinking about how much we're hurting right now. We're thinking about a host of all these different things. And in addition to that, we've got Satan trying to distract us in the midst of all this. I mean, how many times do we go through our church life not really engaging the mind in what it is we're doing? It happens, doesn't it? Now, I'm trying to show us something, okay? I think this is important. Here is Paul writing to believers, and he's saying, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. He is saying, come on, you got to come to a point where you believe what you believe, and you know what you know, and this is real for you. You've got to know these things. Engage the mind. Well, friends, I would say the same principle applies to us, that in our Christian lives, we have got to engage the mind if we're going to be what we're supposed to be in our spiritual lives. Because it is so easy for us, like it would have been the believers of Corinth, it is so easy for us to just cruise through our religious activity. When we're at church, the affirmation we give to the preaching, whenever we hear someone say something about the Word of God and, and we say, yes, we agree with that, there are times I think we do this instinctively and responsively, not as much engaged as we ought. And, and I think sometimes we just need to give it some time and we need to give it some thought. And then we need to apply this question to ourselves. Do I really believe everything I say I believe? I mean, if I believe this is the kind of man I'm supposed to be, if I say I really believe it, am I living like I really believe it? If I say this is the kind of home that we're supposed to have, if I say that that's what I believe, am I really implementing that in my personal life? I need to know, is this really real? So here's what I can't escape, and here's what you can't escape. I hope we hear this. You and I will not ever be as repentant as we ought to be if we're not thinkers like we ought to be. See, if I'm not thinking... I'm missing out on what the Word of God is trying to show me. I'm missing out on what the preaching of the Word of God is trying to show me. If I'm not thinking, then it never dawns on me, wow, I needed that. I've got to be a thinker so that I can be repentant and, and really know this is who I am and this is what I am and this is what I'm striving to be. I've got to know that, but I've also got to be a thinker for this reason so that I can continue to develop in my spiritual life just like the believers of Corinth needed to. I've got to be a thinker not only in the church service, but in the, in the morning when I wake up, guess what I've got to be? I've got to be a spiritual thinker. 
My mind has got to be engaged spiritually in what I'm doing tomorrow because if it's not, I, I, I can be completely removed from everything that I would otherwise suggest I am in my spiritual life. If I'll begin thinking and engaging the mind, I'll have a better understanding of what I'm supposed to be, of who I'm supposed to be, of where I'm supposed to be. I'll be able to separate with the help of God and his discernment. I'll be able to separate those things that, that I say I believe, but I'm not really practicing. I'll be able to begin changing things and addressing things. But if I'm not willing to think, it will not happen. It will not happen. And again, I know here's what the struggle can be. It's like if you went to work tomorrow and said, 50% of you don't think. Everybody would think they were part of the 50% that does. Right? And you, you wouldn't convince them otherwise. Here is the struggle. We all think we're thinkers. But friends, there's no way that we're all always the thinkers we ought to be. And I'm just saying, as best I can, our desire ought to be, God, I want to be a thinker. God, I want to have my mind engaged in this spiritual life. God, I want to be mentally involved in what is going on so that you can lead me, so that you can guide me, so that I can tell when, when lies are trying to deceive me. God, I want to be a thinker so that I can be what I'm supposed to be. I know what your answer is. I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you a thinker? Well, of course I'm a thinker. I'm not one of those other people. I know. But would we maybe admit that sometimes we're not thinking like we should? And we miss what we need to get. And if we would admit we struggle with it sometimes, we ought to say again, Lord, as I sit down to read your word, I want to engage my mind. God, as I enter into this time of prayer, Lord, I'm asking you to help me to stay engaged and focused on what I'm doing so that I'm not chasing rabbits here in a minute. And God, as the preaching is about to start, the Sunday school lesson is about to take place, God, as all, that's about, all, as all this is about to take place, God, would, would you move away all the distractions and let me just give my mind to what it is I need? That really should be a desire of ours to be mentally engaged in the spiritual life. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be men and women who are thinkers, who will scrutinize, who will use some discernment. Lord, so that with your help we can see where we're real and where maybe we're just going through the motions. God, would you help us to realize tonight that there is a great connection between our thinking and repentance and our spiritual development. I pray that you'd bless and that you'd help us in the days to come to be the thinkers that we ought to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.